You're listening to the Agony Column News Report, trashotroncom agony. The new book by Dan White is Under the Stars, How America Fell in Love with Camping. Dan, what set you out to write a book about camping? Well, my father would uh, bring us out into the woods. I almost said drag us out into the woods. And on these amazing backpacking journeys, we chunked out 21 miles once of the uh, John Muir Trail when I was 11 years old. And it was so intense. And then we ate dehydrated meatballs. And we had astronaut ice cream, Neapolitan, and which was unbelievably, fantastically disgusting. And we would see just mosquitoes about as big as my forearm, give or take a couple of inches. And um, and we'd go out there and just make a good go of it, and we'd sing songs, and he had his big old Korean issue uh, boots on. And, and the thing that was so odd to me was how much the experience would improve in retrospect. How sometimes I'd be out there at Thousand Island Lake, and I'd be whining to my parents. I'd even say, I hate you, John Muir, I hate you, because I thought John Muir built the John Muir Trail as a testimonial to himself. I had no idea it was a memorial to him. So I was saying, I hate you, John Muir, I hate you, which by the way, my they, they will never, ever let me live that down. Um, no one <laughs> no one in my family will ever let me forget that I cursed John Muir, who I've later wrote a chapter about, of course, in this book. What really got to me is the fact that I would get back to Sunshine Village condo where we'd always stay in Mammoth and wash up and we'd go to a now defunct restaurant called Whiskey Creek. And the second I get back, I'd want to be out there again. And I thought, that's just crazy. Uh, So I was always really interested in this power of camping, the way the memories improve in retrospect, the way camping kind of shows you who you are and removes your masks. And I was really curious about how this came to be, about how all these practices we take for granted became kind of set in the American culture and also how camping has changed over the years. But I really wanted to not make this dry historical run through for people. What I really wanted to do was make it a lived experience, which meant that I would have these crazy extreme experiences, camping naked, you know, driving a motorhome with no experience, all these things to, to make camping uh, seem like this vivid thing for my readers. I like the idea of mis- mixing history and your own experience. You went up to the Adirondacks, which was where America began camping first. This is at a time when camping was at first thought to not be a pastime. That's right. Um, it, the early our, the founders of America had this really adversarial relationship with uh, with well, with camping with <laughs> with the wilderness uh, the old the old testament is not a particularly pro uh, wilderness uh, piece of writing it's uh, you read some of the puritan writings about the forest and it's evil it's maddening the wilderness is always howling and shrieking and screaming um, and it's funny Thoreau later remarked i think it's the american imagination that does most of that howling <laughs> <laughs> but so, so this whole and then people believe that there are these filthy these these horrible night winds and vapors that would make you sick before germ theory people just thought the forest literally made you sick so there's a lot to go up against when you're trying to make camping seem like this wonderful healthy soul building experience because you have this foundational view of the opposite camping at first uh was done with a guide and you did that too so talk about the early camping with guides and your experience camping with a guide. That's right. I, I think one thing just in relation to America's initially fair for relationship with the woods is there were these baby steps 
towards appreciation of the woods. We had this this big influence from romantic philosophers saying nature is beautiful, nature will renew your soul, but people were still pretty scared of nature. So they would hire these really burly, these really rugged, fearsomely skilled guides who would do absolutely everything for them in the woods. Some of them would practically infantilize the people who hired them. They would build the campfire. They would chop down wood to build an instant shack so the people didn't really have to bring um, bring a tent. They would line up the shot for, if they wanted to get a deer. They would grab the deer by the tail so these clueless people can plug it, which is really just pathetic when you think about it. There's, and then they would get paid about a buck a day. They would even... Uh, sing songs and play the harmonica and they would do a lot of things that we just do today without even thinking about it like building the campfire unthinkable to build your own fire back then so that is one thing that just seems so weird to me that was a common practice in the in the old days you went camping and, and chose a guide. Tell us about what your guide looked like. Was he a Grizzly Adams mountain man type? I really wanted it to be a Grizzly Adams type with a really big beard and, you know, a tam o'shanter and a hickory hiking stick. But he had rather spiky hairdo and he had tattoos, which just I felt like that's just so wrong because I wanted him to look like a 19th century archetype. Of course, I was being – I was um, – holding him to the wrong standard end up being a, a terrific experience but uh, guides have changed and circumstances have changed too it's not exactly it was not exactly a raw wilderness experience at one point i saw an unleashed uh, puppy walking in what used to be no man's land so you did have a raw uh, hiking experience talk about the decision to camp naked I camped naked because I wanted to pay tribute to Joe Knowles, who was this fellow who claimed to have um, camped totally naked in the woods of Maine for two solid months. Just going out there initially with a jock strap and then removing the jock strap and just going out there and wrestling with a deer and breaking its neck and clubbing a uh, bear in a deadfall trap and building this whole wardrobe of found materials. <laughs> You know, and having this crazy experience. And so he was a famous figure who later became infamous for reasons that you'll see in the book. But I wanted to pay tribute to him. Um, so I chose the 100-year anniversary of his, of his camp out, which is 1913. So I went out there in 2013 just to try and be absolutely naked for just 24 hours, pretty modest in the SoCal demonstration forest, which is in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And uh, as you'll see when you read this, I got much more when I bargained for. Camping naked is quite challenging, I found. <laughs> you also did your own tribute to the LNT movement. What is the LNT movement and what was the Immaculator? Absolutely. LNT is leave no trace. It's a set of principles of minimizing, not eliminating, but minimizing our impact on the woods. It's something that's really caught on over the last uh, couple of decades, especially, although it actually predates that. And what I really wanted to do was have a chapter in my book that really took on um, the history of LNT and the idea of treading lightly in the woods and minimizing pollution and all that. And I really went through all these different ideas of how will I make this experience come alive for the reader? So what I decided to do was go out and climb Mount Whitney with this device that I adapted from uh, WikiHow, which is called the Immaculator. It's this three-foot plastic uh, biohazardous waste disposal tube. And my whole setup for that hike was every time I came across a piece of litter or even worse, human waste, 
I would get some salad tongs on and put on some surgical gloves and get a little baggie and I would stick the offending object into the immaculator and I would put the thing on the side of my backpack with the idea that if people really respected leave no trace rules and weren't disgusting slobs, uh, I would have a great experience in the woods. And if they didn't respect the rules, I'd have a terrible time of it. I should also add that um, on Mount Whitney and several other wilderness areas, there is a policy for wag bags where instead of, of course, strewing your waste in the ground, you are supposed to use this disposable kind of sky blue bag that you pack out with you. So the question was, were people packing these things out with them or were they using the wag bags and, you know, leaving them disgustingly on the side of the trail? I've been speaking with Dan White. His new book is Under the Stars. You can join him camping, and he'll tell you the entire history of s'mores. Thank you for joining me, Dan. Thank you. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report, trashotroncom slash agony.